is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Twilight Highlight Zone. I'm your host, Jeff Cork, joined with, by my good friend, Ben Hansen. Hello, Jeff Cork. So this is the... Got the numbers here. This is complicated. This is the second episode of our podcast from the fourth season of the show, covering episodes of the show, episodes four through six. Episodes. Episodes. <laughs> I think this is going to be an episodic episodes. Yeah. So, speaking of episodes, are we just going to dig right in here? Talk to me. What's the format? Have we come upon like what we're going to do? I think I was surprised by how well the long form went last time. Okay. So we're uh, just going to keep keep at it? Let's go ahead and try it. All right. We'll There's, do it. I think there's less twists and turns, but there's probably going to be more stuff we forget in okay. this three block. Okay. I have to tell you, I'm going to I'm gonna start off with, he's alive. Oh, okay. Frankenstein's story. He's alive, exactly. Good old nuts and bolts and lightning bolts and all that stuff. This episode, as I was watching it, I was thinking, there's no way I'm going to be able to describe this without giving away what they think is a really major <laughs> twist almost immediately. So... I'm just going to... Should we pretend? Let's see if we can keep the twist going, okay? Okay. So here we go. He's alive. Start off on the the same bustling nighttime... Well, it's not that bustling, but a nighttime street scene that we've seen tons and tons of times on the episode. It's kind of a rundown looking street. Like when it opened, I thought it was like a post-apocalyptic story. But it's not. No, No, it's just your run-of-the-mill... Hate monger story. So we have a young Dennis Hopper as Peter Vollmer. Did you recognize him right away as Dennis Hopper? Instantly. It is at maybe the 35-minute mark. I finally made the note. This guy looks like a young Dennis Hopper. And I was like, <laughs> wait a minute. When he's getting passionate, it is 100% Dennis Hopper. Yeah. Okay. So he's got himself a little club. And it's kind of a fascist thing. And he's standing on what I believe is a literal fruit box, a soap yeah. box. Of, yeah. of So he's standing on there and he's talking about how... Uh, Americans need to get you know, stop with the Catholics, knock it off with these these people, and he's pointing to people in the crowd, trying to rally the troops, so to speak, you know, to join his cause, which is him and like four dudes who have like the same uniform. It's kind of unclear what his message is, but it's clearly some kind of like Nazi esque rhetoric. Yeah, they're really going for the Hitler imagery right away with him really letting his arm go all out on this yeah. tiny rickety little stand. And- exactly, and then. Eventually, the crowd is just like, you know what? This this pretty much sucks. So they just start a he, fight. Well, to be fair, he's kind of stumbling a little bit, too. He doesn't do the greatest job with he's, his he, speech. Yeah, I guess the material, Let's to be fair, his his material, just it sucks to begin with. There's no way you can really spin this stuff to be great. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't really deliver it well. He's sweating a lot. But he, so he bashes, you know, blacks and Jews and communists. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I took special notes that he really let the communists have it. Like that's the one they really hit the hardest in that opening mm-hmm. speech written by Rod Serling, really trying to <laughs> get it to America a little bit. Like, hey, yeah. how different are we really? Yeah, exactly. Anyways, go on. So then there's a big fight and then the police come and the policeman comes and, and says something to the effect of, you know, you know, you stink. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing here, uh-huh. but he like helps the guy up and he's like, Oh, here, And he goes to hand him the flag, and it's a classic fake-out of dropping the flag. So the cops give him a hard time. He then goes into an alleyway, 
which is clearly where he hangs out a little bit too much and mm-hmm. then just breaks down and starts crying. So it's like, oh, I couldn't quite reach him. I couldn't get through to him. You yeah, know? exactly. And he doesn't think that maybe it, it's, it looks like it's nighttime, maybe 8 p.m. standing uh, on, a, <laughs> on a box of fruit and just spewing hate. Maybe this is just a waste of time. You know, World War II is just a fairly recent memory for these people. And yeah. So anyway. Well, to he, be fair, I mean, it's not like he has Nazi propaganda all over him. All he has is like a... It's what a is it? fist with lightning bolts. It's like it's, the, it's a Statue of Liberty torch with yes, a lightning bolt behind it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a pretty cool logo. It's, it's not bad. That's probably the only reason he was able to recruit those three or four other guys, which really, that's the real mystery of the story for me is who are these other guys? Yeah. Because this guy is just a crying, bumbling mess, and these guys still look up to him. Yeah. I have to say that if if I came into work and you started crying, I would have a difficult time working with you, but that's my own problem. So Never anyway, mind the hate propaganda. <laughs> never mind the hate propaganda. I'm totally fine with that. Whatever. <laughs> so anyway, they go. He, They all disperse. Yeah, see you later. You know, once you're done crying, we'll have to do this again sometime. And, <laughs> <laughs> and he goes upstairs to the apartment of his mentor, you learn. Who just happens to be a Jewish guy. Who was in Dachau. Who was in Dachau, of course. He's still crying, and he's just saying, you know, what a bad time he's having. And Ernst, as gently as possible, is just saying, you know what? I let you stay on my couch. Maybe it's time you look for something better to do with your life. I've known you since you were a young boy. Right. And then they kind of do the speech that they're having a conversation for our benefit, explaining basically that this guy, his mom was in no condition to mother. His dad wasn't part of the picture. So basically, this guy was a father figure to him. And apparently not a very good one. It's just... So this is the real question is, where do Pete's viewpoints come from? Yeah. Clearly not from the friends because they're looking up to him. Right. So not like they taught him. Right. His only friend, it seems like, or like real mentor, is this Jewish guy that was in Dachau who's the sweetest guy on earth. Yes. He hangs out at a candy shop, as we'll find out later. That's how sweet this guy is. (laughs) So it's that weird thing. So they're in the apartment having the conversation and like he's making it clear... Like, hey, I was in Dachau. This is some dangerous stuff you're spewing. Yeah. But Pete never really engages him in an argument. He's just so busy crying. Mm -hmm. He's never like, this is just what I believe, damn it. Like, he never stands up for anything. No. It's. I I wonder how much of that is like, what does he really believe, ultimately? just The point of the scene is to show that he's a flawed human being. And he's really sad on the inside. And like, the whole lesson in the early segments of this episode is, yeah, this guy's just... Hollow on the inside, right. hurt by his parents abandoning him. And as, as yeah, abundantly clear, this is an hour-long season. <laughs> so anyway, so we fast forward a little bit, okay? And Peter sees a shadowy figure, quite literally, cloaked in shadow. Only the face. Only the face. A thick Germanic accent. Really a bad accent, but I think they're going for German. Well, we don't want to tip our hat. Could be anything. Could be anybody. Anybody could be alive. Anybody could be alive. He's alive. So he says, hey, heard what what you're doing out there. It's not great, but I like your message. Uh If I may offer you some pointers. So he says, you need to use these gestures and you need to speak from here and, you know, connect with your audience, connect with your audience, make them seem like they say like they say that. We we don't like minorities. Well, we're the minority, and you know apparently that really resonates with them. So we fast forward, and he's giving the speech, and people are in this hall, and they're calling, like, oh, 
All right. Not bad. There's they're, some, yeah, they're getting on board. Smattering of applause. Okay. <laughs> so then Peter later on sees this guy again. And the guy says, okay, here's the deal. If you really want to connect, your movement needs a martyr. And Peter's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, you, gotta, you need to find someone who's weak in your organization. You got to take him out. And then that's that. And so his plan is that he tells his other goons mm-hmm. that one of them has been talking to the cops. Yeah. And that he has to die, which is a very funny idea because like what the cops were standing right there. They already heard everything he was saying. It's not like they have some grand plan. No. He just stands in front of people and shouts about how much he hates the blacks and the Jews. Exactly. Their it's, end game is very peculiar. So, <laughs> so they can't have the cops knowing, but apparently this guy squealed to the cops yeah. about the stuff that he was screaming in the street. And so then that guy's murdered. They take him out. And it's like, it's hints of the mirror where mm-hmm. this guy is getting kind of drunk on his own power and becoming paranoid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's the martyr they all needed. And there's a classic moment somewhere in there where he's like talking to this shady figure and the guy comes in and, and he's like, who are you talking to? You know, so is it all in his head? I don't know. Who can say? Who can say? Anyway, they have yet another rally and this is a rally like, hey, things are real. They just took out one of my men. We, we have a martyr. Yeah. They, have, a, they have like a big poster of the guy. Yep, yep. They got a poster outside that has a picture of, uh, what's the actor's name? Dennis Hopper. Yep. And it says like tonight in big tonight. letters. Yeah, yeah. And there's like pictures of, uh, Hitler and all kinds of bad guys. Up there. Pictures of who? Hitler. Huh? That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. How's that work? Across the street at the candy store, Ernst, and he's hanging out with his buddy young and he sees all these guys and he says, you know what? I stood by before when this was going on. Someone should really do something. And then he's like, you know what? I'm going to do it. So he goes in there right as Peter's doing his speech and he's talking about minorities and whatnot. And Ernst goes up there and basically takes the mic. And he's just saying like, what are you talking about? This is ridiculous. This whole movement is absurd. And then does he slap? Yes. Peter slaps him. And it's like, what? That's your retort is you, you resort to violence. Well, you, as all this, you could do is hit. Yeah. All this, as this guy is kind of starting to trash him a little bit, the mm. crowd, it's cutaways to the crowd. They're like, oh, oh, oh mumbling to themselves. <laughs> and then like his goons are whispering to him like, you're losing the crowd. This old man standing next to you insulting you is apparently losing the crowd it's quite for a you. distraction. <laughs> this is before they had laser pointers. Yes. Mind. Yes, exactly. So he he's, you know, hits the old. He's like, don't make me hit you. Don't make me hit you. And then he hits him. And then uh, Ernst leaves triumphant, and that's that (laughs) for the time being. But then the shadowy figure says, what you need to do now is you need to, you need to take out the old man. You know, he's obviously part of the problem. You got to kill him. And Pete is yelling at this shadowy figure saying, oh, I can't do that. He's my, he's my trusted friend. Who are you anyway? Come out of that darkness. Get out of that darkness. And then the shadowy figure says, as for being in the darkness, I invented darkness. <laughs> and then he steps out of the shadows. It is the worst Hitler lookalike <laughs> you can possibly imagine. Just it, use the Hitler they've already established in the show, the canonical yeah. Hitler. Yeah. It looks like every once in a while you get like a like a worn out dollar bill and someone has drawn like a Hitler mustache on George Washington. That bears more of a resemblance to Adolf Hitler than the actor they hired for Plus, the role. Plus, it's weird to have somebody impersonating Hitler 
directly in front of a giant picture of Hitler. Oh, because all it does is just show you this is not Hitler, clearly. <laughs> and we're sorry. We're so we sorry. Do. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 I can imagine. Okay, we'll, we'll get to this in a, in a little bit. But yeah. anyway, so basically... Pete runs up. He's got. His he little... runs away from Hitler. Like, yeah, that's the weird part. Is Hitler's his number one idol? He's hanging yeah. pictures, and then Hitler comes out of the shadows and is like, "I got a few more pointers for you." And Pete loses it. Yeah, and runs away. Right. Really acting like this guy's the boogeyman. Exactly. Into the arms of Ernst, who he then proceeds to shoot. <laughs> it's a pretty tense scene, though. I will say, like he pulls the gun, and they have to have their dramatic standoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, more rhetoric about like, oh, is this all you know? Violence, yada, yada, yeah. yada. You're all alike. Um, and did you think he was going to shoot him? I was sure of it. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. What, what I, you... I was I was not sure if it would turn into a sappy episode where they reconcile and really yuck it up together. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. happen. He shoots him, and then he Ernst has a long speech as he's dying. Oh, yeah. On on. Then he falls down, and uh, he says something like... Uh, God, what is he? He's there's a little conversation where he says something that I feel like I'm made out of steel. Yeah, that's his big uh, statement that he goes back to again and again. It's like, oh, I'm steel now. I'm steel. I'm, yeah. He gets back to the theater, and he's very proud of himself. And he's going on and on to Hitler about how uh, he's steel yeah. now. Yeah. And he starts screaming, "We are immortal. We are immortal." Mm-hmm. And then the cops bust through. That's right. And take him down. And then they had uh, the old gut shot. And then, uh, yeah. And then he gets shot and he goes back to where he was crying in the beginning of the episode, mm-hmm. which looks like almost the exact same spot that the hobo found the shoes in that one episode. Yep. Remember this? I remember this. And he, okay, so in the Hitler From episode Dead Man's now, Shoes. Dead Man's Shoes, thank you. He dies in that spot. Mm-hmm. And then you see a shadowy figure on the wall as if the spirit of Hitler is leaving this man. And Sterling's narration comes in and kind of spins it like, Who's Hitler going to go on to next? Hitler lives in all of us. As long as there's hate speech and Mm -hmm. lack of tolerance around the world, Hitler will come for you. So it's almost, it's weird that it's the exact same spot physically and also kind of the same message of like, oh, this spirit's going to live on either in shoes or through Hitler's mustache. It really is the unified Twilight Zone theory. (laughs) It's leaving the door open for that. Because what if someone put on Peter Vollmer's shoes and went after Hitler? It could all work together. Plus, we don't know if this is the real Hitler or uh-huh. if this is a genie-created Hitler. Mm. Actually, I thought that's where this whole episode was going. Like, in the beginning, yeah. with Serling's speech, he says something like, uh, you know, Peter's life's about to change once he encounters something from the sewers, is the way he pitches it. And, uh, yeah. and so I figured, like, oh, is this going to be some sort of lamp in the sewers? Like, <laughs> some mystical object he encounters? And it turns out it was a metaphor, Cork. Yeah. For the Third Reich. Yeah, it really was. So the whole speech at the end, too, is trying to paint it as if Hitler is a boogeyman, more of like a supernatural... It's like they were describing the Grinch. Yeah, it was really weird to take the angle on Hitler. Like, he's not bad enough, as history puts him. Now we're trying to spin him as this supernatural entity yeah. that can take over a society. Mm-hmm. His ideas are so poisonous. Yeah, interesting. Uh, so this episode (laughs) went on for a while. I really, like the second they show the shadowy figure of Hitler, this episode got so, so much better. Don't you agree? (laughs) Wow. I have to say the second that 
Hitler showed up, I was like, okay, that's Hitler. And <laughs> this is going to be a long one. Because it, it just seemed like, I don't know. I, I am not doing a good job of articulating uh-huh. this. But I, I, I don't like the idea of the messenger in a story who someone always has to come and report back to. I think that's kind of boring. It just seems like, just say your piece once, get it over with. I understand for the, the purpose of this, you got to yeah. parse out these things because it escalates. You can't just immediately open up with... Here's a deal. You got to kill the, the Jewish guy that you're buddy buddy with. Right, right. right. Seems like the pretty natural first step. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just like a glaring omission. But there is a nice speech from Ernst, the Jewish guy, uh, before he walks into the hall where he just goes on about like, because everyone is kind of, everyone else in the society is kind of looking down on this guy's rise to fame. Like, oh, can you believe another one of these guys? What a real whack job, yada, yada, mm-hmm. yada. And Ernst is like, well, I was in Germany yeah. You know, in the 20s and 30s. And we all thought that the brown coats, brown shirts? Brown, brown shirts. shirts. One of them is Firefly fans and one of them are Nazis. And I always yeah. get it confused. Uh, but they're like, oh, yeah, we always thought, we always thought they were whack jobs too. Mm-hmm. And it can happen to any society at any That's point. True. I thought that was interesting. Now, there, this is something I never thought I would say. But yeah. one of the coolest powers that Hitler had, though, and we didn't talk about this, was they were late... Yes. On their their payment of renting the hall. He can get cold, hard cash fast. And Hitler can drop off an envelope full of money. And it was great because Peter did the thing where he drops the money, kind of like the flag was dropped for him. Mm-hmm. He's a real jerk. Just, I, yeah. I, I kind of liked seeing this weird, hate-filled startup group struggling. Yeah. Like, I like the idea of a Nazi... Starting out and just bumbling his way through a speech and then mm-hmm. crying because he knows that he didn't communicate well enough. And then like seeing them backstage after he'd give one of his speeches and he'd be like high-fiving his buddies like, yeah, we did it. Good show, guys. we got a real yeah. good crowd out there. It's it's weird to say, but I like seeing that storyline because I don't think I've ever, ever seen the behind the scenes of a startup movement like that. You know, It's kind of like 8 Mile. In a lot of ways, when you really think about it. When him and Ernst got into that rap battle, that was... Yeah, exactly. Pretty killer. My name is Ernst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, great. But I thought it was cool. And like, yeah, them struggling for rent and mm-hmm. they're so excited. And then the dumb landowner or like guy who owns the theater comes in and is like, you can't just keep doing this here. Like this costs a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. They I just wonder like what kind of people would go to that. You know, you see the guy, obviously, in some kind of Nazi-esque uniform in a poster. says, tonight, are you so hard up for entertainment in this town? Right. You're just like, eh, let's go. It would have been more interesting if he was more subtle about it. Like, it wasn't so much like, oh, down with Jews. Here's a picture of Hitler behind me. Yeah. If he was just, you know, a little more adamant. And they did try and play it up with him, like, with the pro-America, rah, 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 like, go for the homeland. This mm-hmm. country's so great, yada, yada, yada. And that would have been more interesting if he was just this, you know, ultra pro-American guy that started to veer into the dark that was being supplied by Shadow Hitler the whole time. Yeah. Instead of just hitting it over the head to the point, yeah, like you said, where you see people in the crowd and it's like, well, what are they doing? What do they think this is? Mm-hmm. Like, I, this would be a more interesting lesson if they're more subtle about Maybe it. Maybe if the message had been delivered by telephone, in all seriousness, I'm just making this up as I go along. Please. And it wasn't until the end that you is revealed who's on the other end mm. physically like he sees... He finds out where the call is being made from and then, like, sees the guy walking away and grabs his shoulder and sees, oh, my God, it's Hitler. Because there's not a single person that can watch this and not immediately know that it's Hitler. Oh, it's... On the shadow street. Think of, like, how 
they butcher this reveal compared to uh, the one in the hospital. Oh, Eye of the Beholder? Eye of the Beholder. They Think do about an entire episode about that, yeah. And that was 20 minutes, and it was so subtle, and they pulled it off. And this, it's just, it cannot be more obvious. No. Uh, but since I like seeing the whole startup movement from a new point of view, mm-hmm. I gave this one a six. I gave it a six also. Oh, wow. Look yeah. at that. Cool. Six buddies. All right. Uh, next episode is Mute. So this one opens in Dusseldorf in 1953, <laughs> and there is a secret pact going on uh, where there's people sitting around a table, and they all agree that they're going to develop their telepathy. Can I just join in for one moment? Yeah. The most prominent member of this group just happens to be the SS dude <laughs> from Death's Head Revisited. Right. Also the lead scientist bank robber from the one where they go into the future. Yeah. So that really poisoned the well for me. Yeah. Two Nazi episodes back to back. Woof. Okay. Anyway, I'm so but sorry. But maybe he's not so bad this time around. Yeah. We'll see. All right. So that actor's in it. Uh, they're sitting around this table. They all agree that they're going to work on communicating through their minds. And there's a little side conversation where one of the couples is like, well, I don't know about this because it's going to influence our children. Like if we have kids, we're going to raise them this way and it could ruin their lives. But they all signed the pact anyway. uh, It then jump forwards, jumps forward in time. And there's a house fire. Uh, Firemen are standing outside it watching the house burn. And they're like, oh boy, it's a shame. There's a little girl in there too. Well, what are you going to do? Fire is so hot. (laughs) And then it's revealed that the little girl got out. And so there is this girl, like 10, 8, somewhere around there. Let's go 10, 11. All right, 10, 11. Uh, This girl, uh, her parents were in the fire. They died. Uh, Another couple who they start to hint and then just flat out say that they also had a daughter who had died previously. Mm -hmm. They adopt this girl. This is the sheriff. And his wife. Right, right. And they find out quickly that this girl does not speak. And she's so mute. She's mute, some would say. And so those putting it together might just imagine that she is the daughter of a couple from the pact in the beginning, mm-hmm. 10 years ago, whenever that was. Yep. Uh, so this couple, the mom in the couple uh, is a little nutty. Mm-hmm. And she is getting very, very attached to this mute girl. Uh, and they start to play up more and more the idea that like their daughter died. Uh, the mute girl can also read people's minds. She kind of does this weird thing where you see like video from inside the skull of what a person was doing or thinking. It it's does never like really made like totally clear. This like, is my big beef with the episode. There's so many things that just are not made clear. So it does like a dumb digital zoom into her mind, and then it shows what somebody else's doing mm-hmm. uh, because she can only communicate through thoughts but the other part that's confusing is like she can't hear or she doesn't know spoken language yeah because when they do like show how it's represented to her ears it's just right. a bunch of like babbling murmurs right right but it's always all over the place it, i think it'd be more interesting if she could hear and she was like attempting to speak but she just has kind of this snooty smug look on her face the whole time (laughs) and apparently she's just like a kid that's like blind you know like she just can't hear anything yeah uh so she's struggling with life parents are struggling with her uh they eventually bring in a teacher Mm -hmm. Uh, the teacher is very strict 
And she says that it's a good thing that her parents died in that fire. Very good thing. Because her parents did not talk hardly at all, and they didn't raise her right. Mm-hmm. And uh, teacher promises that they're going to make her just like everybody else. Right. And so uh, she clearly doesn't want to go to school. The mom wants to make her happy. The dad thinks it's a good idea to send her to school. And then in the meanwhile, the people in the pact had been communicating through letters. They had right. met in Dusseldorf, spread across the world, mm-hmm. and communicated once a month through letters. That was part of the pact. You have to write letters yes. to people once a month. Apparently. Uh, it's like pen pals or something. Yeah. And then the sheriff uh, knew about these letters, and so he was trying to communicate, or he had received the letters from the house that had burned down, yeah. and the mom didn't want the daughter to be taken away, and so she secretly burned the letters, which the young girl saw and tried to stop, but didn't get there in time. Right. And there's a cool moment when the young mute girl realizes that she's alone, like she knows that these other kids and these other families families exist across the world, but now the mom has ruined her one shot of actually communicating mm-hmm. with them, mm-hmm. and she's screaming in her mind. Then she runs out of the house down icing the body electric street. Yeah, where she's overcome by strangers, and then you just hear this awful cacophony of people yelling, and the mom helps by saying, "Leave her alone! Leave her alone! Leave yeah. her alone!" God, speaking of the mom being crazy, there's also that shot where she reads her mom's mind. And it jumps back in time to when the mom found out that her daughter drowned. And so it's just the mom in the kitchen and then the door opens mm-hmm. and there's like a sheriff holding her daughter and the sheriff, or I guess it's not the sheriff, but somebody in the town just says, oh, we found her swimming in the lake. And then the mom just loses, loses it. it immediately. Yeah. There's no like, oh, is she okay? Is she alive? Yeah. Basically, they just walk in saying like, oh, we find your daughter swimming in the lake. Yeah. And she just screams like I've never heard anybody scream before. Yeah. It's really traumatic. It's, yeah. I didn't like to see that part. Also, the mom is a little bit too old for the husband. You think so? She's older and a little nutty looking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't think that was a good match. Throw that out <laughs> One there. of the worst in the Twilight Zone. That's right. Okay. Okay. So the mute girl gets sent to school. Which is a really bold move because she can't even communicate. She can't read. She can't do anything. And now she has to stand in front of a class. And mm-hmm. the teacher is just apparently going to take up all this time to try and get her to say her own name. Right. Saying, your name is Elsa. Right. Your name is Elsa over and over again. Uh, and she cannot handle it. Mm-hmm. Now, eventually, the teacher figures out through some unexplained reason that what's going on <laughs> is that... She's actually telepathic because the the teacher thinks. Some, what does she think? Like, I know that you can hear me. Yeah. And then the girl, like, there's a spark of recognition. And she's like, I know what's going on. My parents did the same thing with me. They And the daughter's like, oh, or Elsa's like, oh, interesting. Okay. Like, she's on board. Maybe she actually has somebody to communicate to. And then she's just like, they thought that they wanted to raise me clairvoyant so I could talk to the dead, too. <laughs> and then Elsa's like, no, that's not what's going on. I'm not a medium. I'm not a medium. Yeah. That is that was one of the weirdest moments when it was revealed that the teacher was raised to be a medium. Just out of nowhere. And then it doesn't really go anywhere. No. Oh no, I guess it does, because she then makes the entire class, instead of screaming, mm-hmm. Your name is Elsa, Elsa. Yep. They make all the students in the class think in unison, which is very impressive. <laughs> They're all thinking, Your name is Elsa, your name is yeah. Elsa, and like her mind is shattering and she can't handle so many right. voices in her head. Right. Uh then that's that. 
So now the twist is that the German, are they even German? I don't know, but some couple. They're German. The couple with the guy who's been in previous episodes as yes. the SS officer, they come because they found out that it was weird that they didn't receive a letter. So they assume the worst about this family. They get directions from a hobo. Yep. <laughs> who who steals the scene and our hearts. Some, some kind of wood carving? Is that what he's doing? I don't know, man. I'll say yes. Yeah. But kind of a weird comic scene because they're looking for City Hall. Right. The police. How do you say the constable? Yeah. Yeah. He said, turn around. And then, then they go to the building and there it Uproarious is. It was such laughter. a weird moment. Like, it was weird. What is going on with they're this? They're trying to shove a little character or personality into these yeah. two characters where there really isn't much. Yeah. Uh, so through the letters, they have kind of learned that Ilsa... It's kind of like a chosen one story where like she was really taking to telepathy and because she was that she was raised that way. Right, right. But they talk about how there's other kids, but mm-hmm. apparently she was the, the best. purest. Yeah. yeah, the best that ever was, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Apparently all it takes is not talking to your kid for a couple of years and think at them. Cuz remember they showed like her learning like a picture of a boat and he would just like show it to her and then she'd look at it really hard and then it would be like animated yeah the boat was like, was like sailing on the page yeah yeah but it was just this weird scene of her learning things where yeah i would show a boat she'd stare at it for a while and then the father would nod and then go to the next flashcards like, <laughs> how do you know learning is going on here you're just slowly shifting through pictures to be honest that's what i think homeschooling is like <laughs> so anyway all right so uh the german couple eventually finds ilsa and want to take her away mm-hmm uh, and then something, something, the mom of the German wife kind of, oh, what? okay. So here, here it is. So they get to the, they get to the home and they want to take Ilsa mm-hmm. away. Ilsa comes home from school that day with her brain fried because the teacher who was also a medium made the kids chant so much in her head mm-hmm. that like she can no longer communicate through telepathy. Right. Uh, because, like, it's cool because you get to hear how she hears it, and it's kind of this garbled, digital-sounding mess. Uh, and then she breaks her vow. Not even a vow. She breaks her barrier of what she was capable of doing before by saying that, my name is Elsa out loud. Yep, and that's telepathy. all she can say, and she breaks down in tears. Yeah, so the German couple realizes that she's really no good at this point. Mm-hmm. As far as that whole side. So they decided to leave her with her. And the German wife gives a speech about how love is more important than telepathy. Uh, and the love of a good mother is the key ingredient here. So they're going to leave her with this adopted family. Yep. And that's the end of telepathy. That's as we know it. <laughs> this is such a weird, like, so, what I love about this episode is that it just starts off with these people at a table and it's just like this foregone conclusion. Well, we all know that people are hu- capable of human te- telepathy. They say that like people started out that way and that mm-hmm. we learn to speak yep. over time. Yeah. So we're just going to do this again. So everybody sign your name here. Let's take the pledge. Okay. You have a few reservations. No big deal. Moving on. Done. Right. right. 10 years later. I just like how like this one just, Hits the road and did the tires squeal. It's like, you got a whole hour here, people. Yeah. You can breathe a little bit. 
Yeah, I wish the entire episode kept up with that pace. Yeah. And we got to see kids all over the world trying to deal with their telepathy mm-hmm. instead of sticking on this one girl. The little girl, I don't think she did a great job. Like, she wasn't exactly an empathetic character. Yeah, just, I thought she did all right. Really? I just, I couldn't read her. It was just frustrating. It's like, yeah. I don't know what she's capable of. I don't know what she's hearing. I don't know what she's sending out there into the world. Yeah. My favorite part of the episode was just thinking about, yeah, this secret cult across the world and her being completely isolated from them. Screaming out, trying to communicate, trying to communicate, mm-hmm. and no one can hear. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, uh, I didn't like the mom much. Didn't like the mom. Didn't she was a little her. too old, apparently. Little, yeah, little wrinkly. I wish I knew more about how telepathy worked. Like the fact that they're still writing each other letters tells me that it doesn't travel very far. One cool detail, though, mm-hmm. is remember the parents in one last act of yes, love. Yes, telepathically. Yeah, the ones who died in the fire moved their daughter with the power of their mind. To safety while she was sleeping. How did that? How was that made clear again? I know Telepathy. the German wife said it, but like, how do yeah, they know that? Telepathy. <laughs> that's pretty much the answer for everything in this episode. Either that, or she's clairvoyant. Maybe she is a medium and she spoke to oh wow. the parents from beyond the grave. Talked to the teacher. Got a little inside scoop. Yeah. What a weird factoid to bring up to a pupil. Like I got the jig is up. <laughs> You're gonna be a medium. Quiet lady I've known for a day. She just, they really painted that uh, teacher to be worse than Hitler she from the previous sucked. episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you could tell when she was coming up the steps. It's like, oh, she's one of these characters. Yeah. You know, like strict teacher. Yeah. Basically a weird nun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I ended up giving this one a four. Really? Did you like this one? I like this one actually more than he's alive. What'd you give it? I gave it a seven. I'm going to sit back and let you explain that more. You want me to explain it more? You were actually sitting back. I just thought that the premise was interesting, and I was genuinely curious to see where it was going. And it was kind of a... It was really sad at the end, I thought. How they've, like, broke this little girl. Out of being special. Out of being special. But at the same time, you're like, well, technically, if you want to look at it, and you don't have to look that hard... She was being raised in one of the most abusive situations possible because she was going to be completely dependent on her parents and their weirdo network of friends <laughs> for the rest of her life. Because like when her parents died, yeah. you, I was going to say, well, when her parents died, what would she do? Well, we saw exactly <laughs> for an hour what she would do, didn't we? So it pretty much negates that. But um, yeah, I, I, that was an absolutely abusive situation. It was a good thing that she got out of there. Yeah, Definitely. And now she's going to have the Helen Keller montage of slowly learning how to speak. Yeah. If the ending, she's going to look at a picture of a boat triumphantly as it doesn't move. And that's the final lesson when everything she jumps clicks. in the air and then freeze frames. Yep, then exactly. Credits. <laughs> uh, do you think that if the vow of the silence that previous episode lasted for 10 years, that guy would eventually develop telepathy? Oh. If he was locked in that room for 10 years? Wow. That's a good one. For the unified theory? For the unified theory. One of those that we're going to forget immediately? No, I'm writing these down. No, you aren't. I see the napkin. <laughs> it's, a, it's an elongated M, but it gave the illusion <laughs> of writing. All right. Uh, moving on to an uplifting topic called Death Ship. Death Ship. Take it away, dude. Death Ship. Okay. So in this one, we start off on a flying saucer. So if you just picture for a moment a flying saucer... That's it. That's what it looks, exactly what it looks like. What's the year? The year? It's 1997, of, of course. Of course. Charlie's so, Angels just came out. 
man, fashion was doing that, that weird thing that didn't really line up with this episode, but that's okay. So we're on board this spaceship, this flying saucer, and there's three guys on there. And they're on a mission to travel the universe, trying to find planets that are hospitable to human life and colonization. So basically... And get resources. And resources, yeah. They're, they're, they kind of zoom above a planet. They have like a scanner. And they look, they, if things look viable, they'll land, grab samples of plants, minerals, wildlife, what have you, and then head back up for the return voyage, okay? So one of the guys is on his little scope, and he sees a little, little glimmer of a flash. And he says, hey, I see, I see something there. The captain... Uh, Paul, he's like, I, 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 I can't be anything, can't be anything at all. And the, the guy, he's like, well, I, I'm pretty sure I saw something. Can we? Uh, Paul is just not having it. He's so yeah. he's big production, being very dramatic about it. So they move the, the ship around, and lo and behold, they see it again. So they're like, why don't we go down and check it out? So there's kind of an argument about whether or not they should do it. But eventually... Be- well, because one of them is very excited. Uh, Mason? No, Mason is the black-haired guy. The other guy, I forget his name. Uh, he's the one that's super excited about it maybe being alien life. Oh, and he's, he's like... He, God, I can't remember the exact term, but it's something like you've, you've, got a, you've got alien sighting fever or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, they make it seem like they've never contacted alien life. Mm-hmm. He's like, this could be it. Oh, my God, we've got to go down very there. Very excited. Yeah. So... They prepare to land, and in doing so, they get into the most ridiculous chairs <laughs> that I think I've ever seen in my entire life. They're like these slabs of foam rubber that someone has like methodically carved out an impression of like where a person would... Including their butt cheeks. Including their like really well-defined butt cheeks. So they sit in this impression, and then they have like a lap belt that this one guy, it takes him forever to put it on, and then they kind of put their arms in the thing. Okay, and they land. Okay. Uh, very smoothly, by the way. They get in these big production chairs, yeah. and it's just like, all right, and then we just land, and we're done. Yeah. I've noticed, like, as we've been watching the show, just the various solutions that people have had for chairs. Yeah. And it's interesting. This is, like, the dumbest, but it functionally not as dumb as, like, office chairs. You see those in some of the episodes where they're just wheels. You're like, this is very practical, really. But <laughs> anyway, so they land, and they disembark, and... Immediately, they see what was making the glint. It is a crashed ship that looks identical to theirs. And the one guy, Mason, is saying, it's from Earth, no doubt about it. And the captain of the ship's like, we don't know that. He's like, oh, but look, it's from Earth. It's our exact ship. He's like, we don't know that. Like, he's very adamant. Like, we don't know anything. Everyone yeah. calm down. He's kind of just a naysayer. Exactly. Throughout this entire episode. And this is the guy, uh, it's uh, Jack. Paul, yeah, Jack Klugman. Yeah, it was game Game of Pool. Mr. Game of Pool, yeah. Yeah. Mr. Passage for Trumpet. Mr. Passage for Trumpet. Yeah, just a jackass in every episode he's been <laughs> in, really. Just woof. So anyway, yeah, they, the guy is even like, it's got the same rocket assembly, you know, and he's like, ah, whatever. Maybe they're just a universal thing. Yeah. So they go inside the ship, and it's dark, and, you know, obviously it's been through a crash, so things aren't looking good, and... um the navigator is like, well, let's go into the cockpit, you know, and he's like working on the door. It's stuck or something, and the and the uh, the captain immediately is just like, let's just get out of here. There's nothing here. Come on. You're not going to get it open. And the guy's like, well, wait, we got it open. And, and then it opens up, and they see three bodies. Okay. 
Humanoid bodies. Humanoid bodies. What's more, they roll them over, and it's actually them. The you say that, like it's a very quick reveal, but they really drag this out where it's everybody one at a time. The oh, first guy like, is Mason. Like stuff under like on top of them. Yeah, yeah, and they have to slowly reveal all these. Mason yeah. sees himself. Really freaks out, gives a weird kind of laughing, crying, like, ah, yeah. And then the big build up again in the music. And yeah. They flip over the next guy, and then the third guy, and then they go back and check out the first guy again and compare ID cards. And they really take their time. Yeah, they check the ID cards. And I mean, it's it's issued by the Interplanetary Board of Spacemen. Right. The names are identical. It is clear that they are, for all purposes, them. They are them. Okay, Ben. Yeah, I got <laughs> it. I got it. So the captain is just like, well, this doesn't mean anything. We don't know what's going on. Let's go back onto the ship. He says, yeah, so they keep trying to communicate back to Earth, but the radio isn't working, mm-hmm. and uh, he keeps yelling at Mason to keep trying to communicate. Mason's like, I can't do it. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. And then Paul starts screaming at him. Uh, he says, like, just can you do what I tell you to do just once, just for once take mm-hmm. my orders? They're starting to kind of get a little stressed out on this planet. Exactly. So then... The third guy, suddenly he, he every, like, you heard like an engine roaring. Before like, this, there's okay. a weird moment where Mason is standing there mm-hmm. and then it has a close-up of his face and there's like the sound of an explosion. That's what it is, yep. Yeah, and then Paul kind of like grabs him and then he's like, oh, okay, back to it. Yeah, and yep. It's never, well, you can kind of guess what it is later, but. Right. So then... Third guy, he just like kind of zones out, and suddenly he's on a road, and he's walking, and this guy comes out, and he's his hunting buddy from way back, and he's yeah. like, "Hey, what? You're back on furlough or something?" And, and he's like, "I don't I, know. Yeah, I, I have no idea." <laughs> so he's heading down the road, and then like this old lady's there, and she's like, "Oh, hi, nice to see you." And then she starts walking, and then his hunting buddy says, oh, yeah, she's walking to town. She's still doing that every day. You want to go hunting with me? And the guy's like, no, I want to go home. So then he starts running, and then you see like exterior shot of a very spacey-looking house. Uh-huh. And he runs from room to room calling out his wife's name and finally ends in the bedroom. There's a lot of sexy sculptures in this house, might I add. A lot of hubba hubba. <laughs> Topless looking ladies and stuff. Anyway, on top of the bed, there's a like a black veil, some black gloves, very artfully arranged, and then a like a uh, card from a funeral home saying, or a telegram saying, regret to inform you, your husband was killed in a crash, blah, blah, blah. And then he comes to and he's back on the UFO. And he's rightfully kind of freaked out. And he, he's been for a while, he's been like, putting his hands on the sides of his face and like moving his skin around like it's made out of taffy. Yeah, it's very much like the media representation of what it's like to get high. Yeah. Just constantly staring at your own hand, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. He just can't get over the fact that he saw a corpse yeah. that looked just like him. Yeah, and so as far as theories as to what was going on there, the captain's like, don't you remember in training, we learned about basically getting unstuck in time or making mm-hmm. an extra temporal leap he has some dumb way of describing it like that. Mm-hmm. So that they jump forward in time. And so his... Forward or back in time. True. It's like the most convenient theory possible. So his theory is that they are seeing that ship because that is a representation of what happens in the future. Mm-hmm. And so his interesting solution yes. to make sure that they don't die like those people in the ship 
is to never let the UFO take off again. Yes. That they are just going to live on that planet because if they never go up in the air, Mm -hmm. that means they can never come down and crash, which means they'll live forever. And it's immediately met with resistance because it is the dumbest plan. It is the worst plan. They're they're like, there's no food. Well, we'll scavenge and... You know, we're running out of food. Well, we'll, there's got to be food over there. Well, how do we know if it's good to eat? Well, we'll look at the wildlife. I didn't see any wildlife. And maybe what's poisonous to us is actually the best thing for them. That was the interesting part when they brought up the wildlife. Like, well, just follow what the wildlife does. It's like, they were so excited about aliens earlier. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, well, the wildlife. Like, that's just alien wildlife. Yeah. We need alien aliens. Exactly. There's a weird distinction in this episode. And then Uh, the the guy points out, well, we're going to run out of fuel, too, because it's already like 13 degrees colder than when we landed not to mention two of us have families and you the captain don't have family don't yeah, have a family point that out. so there's like instant like we should take a vote yeah because your plan sucks basically <laughs> and it did it was a really crappy plan <laughs> just never leave right uh, so then mason he's just like ah f it and goes to bed that's his his solution right so he wakes up He's in bed, and then suddenly he's like on a like by a like a creek. He's by the pond that I think killed that old man and his dog in the hunt. Oh my goodness! It could very well be. Yeah. And he sees Shirley Temple, or a girl who looks just like Shirley Temple. Yeah. And she runs over and says, "Daddy, Daddy!" and gives him a big hug, and says, "I thought you were lost, you know." And come on, let's go see mom, hang out, and all this stuff. And they walk through like. Field of Dreams style corn or something tall. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And he's just all over his wife, giving her a big old kiss. And Like t- they haven't seen each other for a long time. Yeah. And she says like, you're getting this emotional over fried chicken? And then... He's, and then his wife goes, were you asleep? And then she goes, are you still asleep? Yeah. It's very confusing, but yeah. And then suddenly that stupid Captain Paul comes from the Field of Dreams and grabs the guy... And starts shaking him. He's like, you have no right to take me, you know, whatever. And then he wakes him up. And he's like, I was just there. And then conveniently, the captain yanks from the Mason's front pocket the obituary for his wife and daughter, which immediately made me think, well, wait a minute. You just said you had a family. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> oh, interesting. So where's your family you're talking of? I don't know. It's really crappy of me because maybe, no, no. maybe he's got like brothers and sisters and parents are still alive and everything but it, i immediately assume when someone's a space pilot if they got family back home it's a wife and kids yeah but yeah they are dead maybe he has a new wife and kids the, ones that he there like better you go. yeah <laughs> even better like they're robots so they did uh hint at this a little bit earlier when the first guy got back he talked about like oh my hunting buddy he was shot and killed in a hunting mm-hmm. accident and then the old lady died too yeah so they're interacting with dead people yes basically and yes. there's a creepy part because when they look for Mason while they're talking about the space plan, Mason's gone, but there's like an indentation on the pillow where his head was. And they kind of gloss over like the captain is just like, ah, uh, you were there. We just didn't see you. And he was like, no, Mason was gone. He just he Which disappeared is weird for a because little bit. They make it seem like the first guy didn't disappear. Right. But he maybe because he was standing there. Maybe it was just because the captain saw him. He didn't want to admit that he didn't, right. that he didn't disappear, right. that he did disappear. Yeah, it, it was a little confusing there. So then they decide, you know what? I see what's happening. I'm revising my plan. This planet is sentient, kind of. and it There's th- alien life on here that's messing with our minds. Right. It's coming up with the ways that it knows will scare us, like showing us our bodies and interfering with our radio signals. It doesn't. It wants us to leave. 
Right. So we're going to leave. Which is interesting to me, and I'm hoping you're on board with this. Have you ever read Sphere? Yes. Okay. Isn't that the same idea where it's like they're just creating the realities of your worst possible fear? Mm -hmm. And I forget in that book if it's like aliens or how they explain it or why this is even happening, but something triggers in them for their worst possible fears to become a reality. And that's what it made me think of in this episode. It's been like 20 years since I've read that. All right, that's the next podcast is the Michael right, Crichton cast. The cast. All right. I can't wait. What's Anyways. Crichton? Yes. So uh, they decide to leave. Yes. So they hop into their big foam chairs, strap on their buckles, and blast off into space. And the dial that has their altitude spins like... I have, I have a real problem with this altimeter. <laughs> it's altimeter. It... It just spins like, what the f- is going on with this it's thing? It's 9,000 miles. Yeah. 9,000. Yeah, it has a representation of 9,000 miles on it. And as the rocket ship is taking off, which, by the way, is dumb because it's a UFO that has a rocket on the bottom. And when they show it, it's just the weirdest <laughs> image because you never see a UFO with like an old-fashioned NASA it, rocket. Yeah, like a flare. Yeah, so it's just slowly rising up like a rocket, which you wouldn't expect. Anyways, uh, so as it's climbing up, the altimeter is just spinning wildly, and the captain's reading it off like... 10,000 miles, 20,000 miles, 30,000 miles. It's like, just make the altimeter represent more and yeah. then you won't have to keep a mental track. Make a bigger that, dial. It really bothered me how many times Ugh. that thing was looping and he had to do that mental math. Yeah. Fortunately, they get up there. They're like out of orbit. They were making a lot of dumb faces on the way up. but They were making, like you could tell that they must have just shown like newsreels of like test pilots and centrifuges. <laughs> and they're like, oh, this is what it looks like when a person's like, getting pulled by g-forces so they made them try to do that right because like they make like a really big stretched out grimace and (laughs) it's hard to watch right anyway they're up there and everything is great they're like okay (sighs) we made it we can go back home to earth and they the captain is like nope (laughs) which is super weird the captain is just like now that we know what's going on now we can go back down now we know we won't crash. Now we're on easy street. So let's land again. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? Including me. Yeah. This is a, this makes no sense. Yeah. This is super dumb. So he grabs the controller and there's like a big like back and forth. And it seems as though the ship is going to crash. So they fight over the controls about whether or not it's going to happen. And, and it you starts, think like, it does, like the camera angles like sideways. So you're like, oh, okay. Here's. Yeah. It starts to spin out of control, you know? Uh, and so everybody is like launched back into their seats and they're all like, the G forces. And they do their whole dumb face again, mm-hmm. except especially the guy on the right's really hamming it up. They eventually get the controls back and decide to land. Uh, and the UFO isn't there. And so they're like, they open like one of the little windows and they look out and they're like, see, no. And then Mason's like, well, how do we know we're facing the right direction? Let's open up these four other windows and very slowly go around and check each because so they they're do, really taking up an hour. They do that. And when you know what, the, the fourth one, there's the UFO. So Mason at this point cracks and realizes we're dead. We've been dead the whole time. Mm-hmm. Stop trying to convince us that we're still alive. Clearly we died. Yeah. You need to let us die. Yeah. And the captain's like, nope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I don't believe it. Everything has a logical explanation. We just yeah. need to figure it out. He keeps going back to that. Like there must be a rational explanation for this, which is the exact same line. I mean, it's a classic line, but it's also the exact same line that they use in the first episode of this season, the in his image or whatever. Mm. When the town's all weird, it's like, oh, there has to be a rational explanation for yeah. this. Anyway, so he denies them death 
And then the episode jumps back to the very beginning mm-hmm. when they see the sparkling object again and decide yeah. to go down to investigate. And so there we go. And Serling explains that it's another flying Dutchman, which I think he even used that comparison when talking about the Odyssey of Flight 33. Yeah. It's like the exact same thing. It was like, well, this ship's out there doing this maybe forever. Who can say? Ugh. This captain is so stubborn, he will not let himself and his comrades die. Question. Yes. They're all dead. Yeah. Right? Is it morally wrong to choke the captain out because he's already dead? So, but they don't... Okay, if they can get in the loop mm-hmm. when before it resets, when they all realize that they are definitely dead, if they can shoot the captain, where's he going to go? Detroit? I don't know. I mean, yeah. I think that's totally fair. If... Just enough of them remembers the past or previous yeah. lives or deaths, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> in their circle of death. It's kind of a bummer of an episode, isn't it? It really is quite the death death ship, isn't it? Yeah, it is. By the way, it's gonna be confusing looking back on this one when we see the title, because it's gonna be like, is this the one with the wrench? Yeah, with the <laughs> wrench, or is this the one that's like judgment night where the guy's viewing the one death, ship or death over ship is revisited? <laughs> So not asked for a sequel. Okay, so did you think that they were dead the whole time? Because I'll tell you what I thought after you tell yeah, me what you think. That's a good question. Um, I don't think I did. Um, no, I, I don't think I really had a solid theory going through it. But, you know what I was? I thought it was, and uh, I was hoping for because I think it would have been an interesting story. I like to rewrite episodes of the Twilight please. Zones because obviously I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, I thought. They were robots. And they mm. this expedition, it was just like they just threw out robot wave after robot wave. And the reason that the captain was reluctant to go there the first time is because he had some kind of programming like, hey, if you go, if you get a sense that the, another ship has already been here, stay away. Oh, interesting. And that's why they were the same. And I was thinking they need to like, when they like rolled the guy over, I was thinking he's going to have like a scar with like that part of his robot Parts face, you know, yeah, sticking yeah, yeah. out or something like that, but that never happened. No, they just did the robot story. Yeah. I, I would think that season. they, well, they've done the, where is everybody in the town story? That's stopping them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I know they got a really good theory. Uh, I, I think this one was really stretched out. Yeah. Uh, that said, I really like the idea of this commander not letting people die. Uh, I ended up giving this one a seven. I like this one a lot. Wow. I give this one an eight. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. Well, that's good old-fashioned Death Ship. Yeah, this was probably my favorite of the season so far. Okay. And we're already... We've seen six, so that's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? Also, it was really refreshing to see a sci-fi episode again. Like, right when this one started, I'm like, oh, thank God, a UFO. Yeah. All right, I can sit back and enjoy this. It's not going to be a mute girl in a burning house anymore. Anytime that they talk about a year that was in the future to them... That's in the past to me makes me feel so smug. Yeah. I love it. It's just, just like those jerks. Yeah, we ne- we never built that. <laughs> you idiots. <laughs> Stupid cool. little weird shoulder things. I would never wear a shirt like that. Did you notice that they had the Target logo on their no. on their shirts? That was like their little uh I, what would you call that? Their, insignia? Uh, insignia. Well that's the Target logo. That's why if you die in a Target store, mm-hmm. you're not allowed to go to the afterlife. Interesting. You have, to, you have to stay shopping forever. Woof. Even if you find your own corpse in the cereal aisle. 
This episode Why don't you let me Target. dive in? <laughs> Just let me dive in. Good Lord. Speaking of wanting to die, we have a lot of season four to get through yet. <laughs> We're, we are so far from the end of this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I feel like the first episode we did for season four, the long format worked better than this one. Yeah. Do you think it works? The long format? Yeah. It, I think it gets, it just gets so bogged down. And, and then I think this. Are we recording this yes. right now? <laughs> yes, we are. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of like, I like talking. So what does that mean? Um, I guess what would the alternative be? Going through maybe there's five a, hours in a week? Maybe No, no, no. Maybe there's a middle ground because, a first of all, this ground. is already over an hour. Okay. Uh, so maybe we can just trim it down a little bit for the thorough explanations, but still give a pretty detailed play-by-play. Okay. Kind of like the speed you were going with uh, the Hitler episode mm-hmm. in terms of like, oh, first Hitler said this, then Hitler said yeah. this, then Hitler said this. Okay. But this is the point. People should write about it in the comments. Yeah, please do. Because I think like an episode like Death Ship, yeah. I think that's a really meaty, interesting episode. And then it's something that I particularly like talking about. You know what yeah. I mean? Whereas like, I don't think that Mute Girl He's Alive necessarily needs the same degree of play-by-play. Okay, so let's keep it relatively breezy, but we have the option for episodes yep. that are interesting. How about I will make a set of cards at home tonight. Uh-huh. And at the beginning of every episode, we start doing a breezy when you're doing it breezy style. I can go... I object. I'm uh-huh. playing my long form card. And at that point, the conversation will shift uh-huh. into a long format. What if I hold up a flashcard of a ship? A ship card? Oh. A death ship. Oh my gosh. We'll have to revisit this. This cool. is really great banter. <laughs> this is the worst banter. All right. That, that about wraps this one up, right? Yeah. Take it away. I dude. feel great. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. And seriously, we're just making this up as we go along. <laughs> so please leave your, your comments on if you want to like faster, shorter. Um, if you want us to just stop doing it. please. If you want to do that, just internalize it because it's very demoralizing. <laughs> we've, Send it to us we've already watched like six episodes of season four. And maybe if you don't like what we're doing, just say, oh, yeah, keep it up, you assholes. <laughs> and then we'll continue watching it. Just don't listen to it. So then we will have wasted a significant chunk of our lives <laughs> so there you go anyway thanks for tuning in and we will uh talk at you again next week Bye. 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 Bye.